All right, how many of you are old enough to have had an LP collection? Vinyl records, right? I had a good collection. And then they made eight tracks. <laughs> Which, you know, were kind of a bummer in that they would make the, the song cut off right in the middle as it's switching from one track to the next. But you could take your music with you in your car. So I started getting all the eight tracks instead of the LPs. And just about the time I had a good eight track collection built up, cassettes came out. Everybody starts switching to cassettes. Okay, I'll re-get all those albums again on cassette. And just when I got a lot of cassettes built up, what came next? CDs. And uh, I really drug my feet on that one. I waited as long as I could to embrace CDs, but eventually I gave in and just started buying all the CDs as well. And by the time I got a bunch of CDs, everything went digital. And iTunes, iPods, iPhones, YouTube, Spotify... So the mission was always about sharing music, but the media, the way it was shared changed, and that relates to what we're going to be talking about today. The mission stays the same. The way we do it sometimes has to change. We have to be willing to make changes to carry out the mission. Just in the American context alone, I think there have been more changes in the way we do church in my short time of ministry than in any other time in American history. Think about the changes that we have been through since when I was a kid. It was piano and organ music, right? And singing out of hymnals and choirs and robes and men wearing suits and women wearing dresses, preachers preaching to less than 100 people, 400 people at the max, to all the different changes we have today. The changes in meeting places and the size of congregations and the dress style and the, the musical styles all have changed in that amount of time. In fact, just the very way we started this church was a big change. We, we started it by just calling people up on the phone and inviting them. And then when we went multi-site, started having church in more than one location. And the fact that so many are joining us online right now are all changes. And COVID has forced even more changes on the church. And sometimes changes are good, sometimes they're bad, but things change. And there, there's a lot of principles for us in this passage that we're looking at today as we continue on in Acts chapter 15 and 16. So whether you've you got an old Bible that you're going to just sit on your lap or you got an app on your phone, go ahead and go to Acts chapter 15 beginning in verse 36. It's going to be on the screens as well. Last week, you might remember, we left Paul and Barnabas who had completed their first missionary journey among Gentile cities, meaning they were not Jewish cities. And um, eventually a controversy arose in their home base of Antioch, a Gentile area. These Judaizers came in, these ones who were saying, well, if you want to become a Christian first, you've got to become Jewish, you've got to get circumcised. And they said, oh, oh wait a minute. And they went down to Jerusalem, said, what's the, what's the decision on this? And the apostles and elders said, no, you do not have to become Jewish first to become a Christian. Jesus is enough. And so uh, if you missed any of those messages, you can... Go on our website, that's a change, having websites, right? And listen to them there or download the podcast. But for some of you old school, today only, we are having the sermons from previous weeks available out in the lobby on cassette, CD, and limited time vinyl edition albums as well. So they have been teaching and preaching in Antioch for quite some time, but now it's time to head out again, to go mobile on a second missionary journey. So let's uh, go to Acts 15, beginning in verse 36. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit 
the brothers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Okay, on our first missionary trip. Now Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. So John Mark, we know better as Mark. We know later he turns out great. He writes the gospel of Mark. But at this point, he's a young guy. He's a relative of Barnabas. And he had messed up. He bailed out on them in the middle of their first journey. And Paul was not willing to risk this young guy bailing out on them again. Doesn't want to take him along on the second journey. And Barnabas is like, come on, cousin cousin Mark, he's a good guy. Give him a second chance. Give him some grace. Verses 39 through 41. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and left commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord, he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So just kind of ironic that these two guys, Paul and Barnabas, who had been so tight, who had just helped bring unity to the whole church through that whole Jerusalem council thing, now get into it so heavy that they part ways. These guys who had struggled together, been through hardships together, started churches together, have to split. Now, who was right? Don't know. It wasn't about right or wrong, really. It was about what's the wise thing to do and how to best carry out the mission. And that's okay. Godly people sometimes disagree. I mean, some people have an idealistic view of church that conflict should never happen. But come on, we all bring our different perspectives and biases and ideals and backgrounds. And there's going to be disagreement. There's going to be conflict from time to time. The question is, how do we deal with it? And how do we handle those matters? When conflict comes, do we, do we recognize, well, look, it's probably not a personal attack by an evil person. It's probably just a sincere believer who have a difference of opinion on how to go about something. Now, unless it's some sort of serious doctrinal matter or moral matter where we have to insist on conformity to God's revealed word, I mean, we have some freedom to disagree on things. But can we do it with patience and tact and speak graciously to one another, not let our emotions uh, get control of us and lose our tempers? We can disagree over things like strategies and ways to do things, but we've got to be on the same page when it comes to the mission itself, which is we are here to make disciples. More disciples, better disciples, create more Christians, win the world to Jesus. But the disagreement may be serious enough that you have to part ways. Sometimes it happens, that's okay as long as you can still remain in fellowship with one another. We can, we can go our separate ways. Because look, I don't want to just win an argument and lose a brother. Right? Because scripture says, if, if I don't have love, then I'm nothing. And so whenever somebody around here over the years has said, well, I'm going to leave South Point because I don't agree with South Point's style. I don't agree with South Point's direction or whatever it is. What I try to do is just say, well, God bless you. I hope you get involved in another good church somewhere and that God uses you in a great way. And hopefully in that way, by parting as friends, who knows, maybe someday they, they will return. But fortunately, Paul and Barnabas, their division wasn't permanent. Paul later speaks words of praise about Barnabas and about Mark. Now, Barnabas, we don't know anything about. Once he takes off with his cousin, heads out, that's the last we hear of him. I always wonder what happened to Barnabas. 
Mark, though, we know again, became the gospel writer and he was a faithful minister so much that he got a second chance. Paul, late in life, he's in prison. He says, hey, I want Mark here with me because he's helpful to me. So here's the good that came out of that bad situation, that conflict is God doubled the work. Instead of just one mission team going in one direction, two mission teams going in two directions. That's a good thing, but it's a rare thing. You know, if you've ever been through a church split, it's a miserable thing. You say, well, we doubled the work. Now there's two churches. Yeah, but you end up really hurting your testimony that way, and it makes it harder to lead people to Christ because they see that division. But um, Barnabas takes Mark, and they head off to go visit those churches by way of sea. Paul takes Silas, and they head off by way of land. And Silas, you might remember from previous week, was one of those prophets who went with him to Jerusalem and then came back. So this is a guy who becomes a really close friend of Paul. He goes through a lot of suffering with Paul. He helps Paul write some of his letters. Later he becomes a secretary to the apostle Peter as well. Point is, God often changes workers, but the work goes on. Listen, all of us are important to the work of God. You're needed, but you're not indispensable. Nobody is. I'm not indispensable. God changes workers sometimes and shouldn't be surprised that over the years God has raised up some leaders here and other leaders have departed and that will continue on ad infinitum. There will always be people rising up and people leaving. Changes can be difficult. They're, they're a pain, but sometimes they're needed and sometimes they happen not in the best way, but God can still use them because the mission is more important and bigger than any one of us. It's so much better when we're able to work in unity, when we do ministry with others. Right? That's, that's an important principle as well. Somebody that can complement you. You know, where you're weak, find somebody who's strong and, and do it together. And so Paul invites Silas along. He says, hey, come do this ministry, go on this trip with me. And that's a model for all of us right now, is to approach somebody, find your Silas, and say, hey, would you work together with me? Would you help me uh, do this group or would you help me serve on this team and let's multiply the ministry. There's something dynamic. It's synergistic when we work together in God's work. And in fact, sometimes we don't want to ask somebody because we're afraid it might, you know, put them off or we're imposing or something. You got to look at it this way. You're doing them a favor by asking them to serve because you're giving them an opportunity to use the gifts that God has equipped them with to meet needs and make a difference. So invite them to serve with you. Paul and Silas, they set off on their journey. They're going to go revisit the churches in reverse order from the first trip. And they're going to, it's going to take a few unexpected turns here. In fact, they end up picking up a third partner. Uh, kind of this guy named Timothy comes along to replace Mark. Let's go to chapter 16, verses 1 through 3. He came to Derby. Paul comes to Derby and then to Lystra. And that's where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was a Jewess and a believer, a Christian, but whose father was a Greek, a Gentile, non-believer. The brothers at Lystra, and by the way, Timothy is probably like a young guy, 20 years old, young adult, but he has a very solid reputation as a Christian. The brothers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him, and Paul wanted to take him along on the journey. So he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. Now we find out later that 
Timothy had been taught the scriptures from the time he was a taught by his mother and grandmother, brought up in the Jewish faith. But probably when Paul came along, he led him to Christ because Paul calls him a son in the faith. And in fact, Paul trains him so well that Timothy becomes a leader in a church as well. And Paul writes two letters to him, right? First and second, Timothy in your Bible. And this guy, Timothy, has been an inspiration for young adults, young Christians, for centuries now. Listen, young adults are so important to the work of the church today, and especially for the leadership tomorrow. You know, when I got out of Bible college and seminary, I became the lead minister at a church when I was only 22 years old. How nuts is that? And it was like mostly older folks. And I didn't know how to lead them at 22. Uh, And they knew I didn't know how to lead them, but they let me go ahead and try and make my mistakes and learn from them and grow because you know, that's how you get better at doing ministry. So I would love to see that. More and more young people, young adults say, I want to do something great for God. Put me to work. Show me what to do. Equip me. Train me. Mentor me. Let me go. And that's what we ought to do. And they're going to make mistakes, but we, we resource them and we give them some wisdom and experience and we release them to do great things for God. All right. Now, not only is it important that you have a co-worker like a Silas say, hey, come help me, but you find an apprentice that you can take under your wing and coach. Hey, let me show you how to lead this group. Hey, let me show you how to be the leader of this ministry. We all need apprentices who can fill the hole, fill the gap if something happens to us, right? Because one way or another, God's going to call us out of that ministry at some point. You know, <laughs> Maybe it's you, you get sick or you, you move away to another city or you just get called into a different area of ministry. And we don't want, when you step out of that role, we don't want it to fall apart. So you need somebody that can take over for you to fill in for you or, or permanently take over, not only if something happens to you, but that's how we reproduce and expand and, and exponentially grow our ministry when every one of us, we find somebody that we can train and then we get them going and they take over and we can go do something else and we can train other people over here. Meanwhile, that person is now finding their own Timothys to train and now we're really rapidly expanding. That's the way we grow. By the way, I'm not going to gloss over this. You might think you skipped over the whole circumcision thing. I know. (laughs) But you say, what's going on with that? Didn't we just get that settled last week? I mean, didn't we just find out that they said... You don't have to get circumcised to become a Christian. You don't first have to become Jewish and obey those laws to become a Christian. And Paul's saying now he's going to circumcise him. Is Paul being a flip-flopper here? No, no. This is a different circumstance. This isn't about Timothy getting circumcised to become a Christian. This is Timothy getting circumcised to be an effective missionary. Because he's... Tim's taking one for the team right now, guys. That's all I can say is because he's in a a Jewish culture and unless he can relate to them as a fellow Jewish person, they're not going to listen to him. We're not going to listen to this Gentile telling us about this Messiah named Jesus. Who does he think he is? So that's a powerful principle that missionaries have had to deal with all, all the time. Look at 1 Corinthians 9. Paul says, though I am free and I belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone. Why? To win as many as possible. So to the Jews, I became like a Jew. To win the Jews. To those under the law, law of Moses, I became like one under the law. Though I myself am not under the law. I'm under the new covenant, not the old. Why? So as to win those under the law. And to those not having the law, the Gentiles, I became like one not having the law. Though I am not free from God's law, I'm under Christ's law. Not the Old Testament, but the New Testament. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. Look, I have become all things to all men. Why? 
Say it with me, everybody. So that by all possible means, I might save some. So here's the principle for us. Meet people where they are. Don't expect them to adapt to you. You adapt to them. Don't, don't be a phony and try to pass yourself off as something you're not. But I'm saying be flexible enough to adapt to them, to, to, to try and fit into the culture, the crowd, the, 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 whatever preferences you have. Are you willing to give those up to sacrifice your likes for the sake of the people you're trying to reach? Right? It's, it's like if I were going to go to India to win Indians to Christ, what do I do? I don't expect them to become like me. I become more like them. I begin to speak their language. I begin to dress like them, to eat their food, to listen to their music. Oh, there you go. Are you willing to give up your music for the sake of reaching the people in this culture? That's why things change in the American church all the time. It's because their culture is constantly changing. And we've got to sometimes adapt our methods to reach them without ever changing the message of Christ. So back to Acts 16, let's look at verses 4 and 5. As they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decision reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. Okay, the stuff about you don't have to become Jewish first. We're under grace, all right? So the churches, get this, were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. I love that. Isn't that a great model for us? That our church would grow stronger and larger every day, making more and better Christians. That's a healthy church. Man, that's, that's the kind of church I want to be. Now, things begin to change again because it seems Paul's original intent was just to go back and visit the churches, the cities he'd already been to. But they're done. They've done that. So what now? Well, we, we could go back home. Or you know what? There's thousands, there's millions more people who have yet to hear about Jesus. Let's keep going mobile to reach those people. And so that's what they do, verses 6 through 8. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. And when they came to the border of Mycenae, they tried to enter Bithynia. So if you know your geography at all, they're getting close to the Black Sea area. We're going to use a map a little bit later so we can kind of get our bearings here. But the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. They wanted to go to Bithynia. Nope. So they passed by Mycenae and they went down to Troas. Troas. Okay. So God said no. Red light. Which must have been very confusing and frustrating. I get that. Because when I was in, in Bible college and seminary, and I, I wanted to go plant a church in a big city. I had a lot of people, didn't have a church like this. I, I wanted to go to Toronto. And so I talked with a preacher from Toronto, but it seemed after that conversation, the door just closed. It wasn't going to happen. So I turned my attention to Indianapolis, my hometown. I fit in there. That's my culture, my people. I'll go back home. And that door got slammed shut hard on me. Nope, wasn't going to happen. So I looked around at other Midwest cities, but none of the doors were opening except for one. And that's why I'm here. Folks, it was not part of my life plan to move to Metro Detroit. Not ever, anything I ever intended to do, but God had other plans. And you might get upset and frustrated when you want to do something, you want to go someplace for the Lord and do this and that. And no, it's not going to happen. Why not, Lord? That, that's... Be patient. Be patient. God's got a plan. Roll with it. Be flexible. God's got, got some better things in store. 
That's what, that's what we got to trust. All right, so let's, let's get a bearing. I'm going to put it up on the, mat, on the, on the screen now. So uh, on the bottom right uh, side, you see the, the Holy Land there, which is Israel. You travel a little bit north into Syria, and you see the city of Antioch. That's where they start out on the mission. And they travel throughout Asia Minor, follow the red line across that. That's what today is modern-day Turkey. They go to, to, to Derby and Lystra and Iconium, Antioch and Pisidia. Those are all the places they went on the first journey. All right, let's keep going. Let's go north into Bithynia. God says no. And so instead, they go westward and end up on the coast there uh, in that city of Troas, that black dot there right on the coast. And something happens there that's going to change world history. Uh, something where God is going to redirect their, their whole journey in such a way that everything will change from this point on. God gives them a green light to go, verses 9 and 10. Here's what happens. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia over there in Europe across the, the sea, standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Paul never had any intent of going into Europe, into Macedonia, what is now modern-day uh, Greece. But he had this vision, he heard this call. Jesus wants the gospel to go into Europe now. It's possible there were just a few Christians already in the city of Rome, but this may possibly be the very first time the message of Jesus goes into the continent of Europe. And Paul goes over there and plants churches, and it changes everything because Europe eventually becomes a Christian continent, and people from Europe travel over to the New World, to America, which becomes a very Christian uh, area as well and missionaries from Europe and America go all over the world to share Jesus but what's ironic and sad is that at the same time in many parts of the world those missionary efforts are paying off and people are becoming Christians Christianity's died in Europe I mean it's a very post-Christian continent and America is kind of heading in the same direction right now and it may be that some people need to hear the call to let's go back to Europe and reshare the gospel there. That's, that's called a Macedonian call. It comes from this. It's when you have this sense that God may be calling you to a certain place or a certain person or group of people to go and share the gospel with them. And, you know, kind of this, this vision to say, come help us. And, and really the whole world desperately needs Jesus. But have you heard that call? Have you caught that vision? Who can you go help to give them Jesus now, the, the missionary team at this point, I don't know if you noticed, has expanded. Okay, we, we already know there's Paul and there's Silas and there's Timothy. But did you notice how it changed in the text from saying they did this and they went there? They, it changed to we. We did this and we went there. Why? Because now Luke is on board. Dr. Luke, who wrote the book of Luke and the book of Acts, is now including himself in the story. So, again... Lots of changes going on, Lot, changing partners, changing plans, changing directions, but the same mission. Cultures change, methods change, styles change, but we have to be willing to make changes to carry out the mission. 
So Luke then journals in verses 11 and 12 from Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace. So they go across the sea into Europe and the next day on to Neapolis. From there we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony and the leading city of that district of Macedonia and we stayed there several days. Now apparently this is another one of those cities without a synagogue. So there weren't very many Jewish people there. So another change of plans. Usually they go find a synagogue, right, with people who are ready to hear about Jesus. They don't, we can't go to a synagogue. What are we going to do? Let's change it up a little bit. Verses 13 and 14. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. And we sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. So God's spirit, and by the way, that's a real change. I mean, to, to go to the women, that, that's an unusual thing. But God's plan, perhaps, was that the very first European convert would be this woman business person. God cared so much about Lydia that he brought Paul some 1,500 miles to share Jesus with her. And then one more verse here, verse 15 When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home and said, if you consider me a believer in the Lord, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. So God uses that message to convict her. And uh, she responds in faith and in baptism and she is changed. And maybe that's what's happening to you right now. You sense God convicting you. You feel that tug. You're hearing the message of Jesus. You're saying, I'm... I'm interested in that. I want that. What do I do? God brought you here for a reason. He brought me here at the same time as he brought you so that you could hear that God loves you so much. He gave his son to come to this earth and die in your, in your place on the cross so that you could be forgiven, so that you could have eternal life because he rose from the dead. You can too. So don't close your heart to that message. Open it up like Lydia And if you're somebody who needs peace with God, I'm going to invite you today, right now, to transfer your trust to Jesus, to believe in him as your savior, to repent of your sins, because that's that's what change is. Repent means to change your direction, to be baptized. That's how you begin that new life. And maybe you're a believer, but you've never been immersed into Christ. Take the plunge. It will change your life. I mean, that's the way they did it in the New Testament. You believe your repentance, you're ready to be baptized right then. On the spot. You don't put it off. It's the beginning of your new life. It's the beginning of those changes. Are you ready to be changed? If you are, we're inviting you to let us help you with that decision. To text your name to 734-304-7248 or email us next at southpointccc.com. Okay, that'll work whether you're on site or you're online. In fact, if you're online, you can click the link as well. Or you can... um, On site, just go out in the lobby after the service. Uh, At the point, meet with somebody out there who would love to help answer your questions or pray with you or get you ready for your baptism right here and now. If you're at home, we'll set up your baptism right away. In fact, we could even show you how to do it at home. Act on what God is calling you to do. Listen to what he's saying. If you're a Christian, what is he calling you to do? Where is he calling you to go? What person or people group is God sending you to serve 
Whatever you may sense God is calling you to do, act on it. Even if it's as simple as returning next week to come back and check it out as we finish this chapter and finish this series. We're going to be talking about an exorcism, an uproar, a midnight miracle, and middle-of-the-night baptisms. So I, I hope you join us for that. But this next week now is our celebration of generosity beginning tomorrow through next Sunday. We're, we're going to respond by giving to support missions. We do this every year. And all week long, every dollar given will go to support missions. None of it will go here. And everything that's given, is that's what our missions will receive all year long. So we're hoping you will be as generous as you can to support the work of these missions. And we've been letting you know all month long what they do and why it's important to support them. We've talked about the three categories of our missions. The first is church planting. So we talked about starting new churches. Second week was compassion outreach, about meeting physical and material needs in the hope of directing people to Jesus. Today we're talking about global evangelism, all the other ways that we send out ministers and missionaries to share the good news of Jesus. And, and we're going to talk about two more today. The first one is Brad and Tammy Harvey. So I want to show you a picture of them and their three children. Uh, Brad and Tammy have been involved in missionary work in Africa now for nearly three decades. Do we have the picture we can show? Um, Brad, some of you may know, is somebody I led to Christ when we were just teenagers. He was just a goober friend of mine. <laughs> we were just goofy kids. But I got over my fear of, of talking about Jesus, led him to faith, and now he is a language specialist who puts the Bible in the languages of people who don't have one. So listen to Brad and Tammy. Hi, South Point Church. We're Brad and Tammy Harvey, serving with Heart for Central Africa. We normally live in Kenya, where Tammy's working on a PhD, and I work in the neighboring country of Tanzania as a Bible translation exegete and consultant. In addition to my studies, I also do some consulting in cross-cultural leadership, training, and coaching. However, due to the pandemic, a lot of our plans for this past year had to be unexpectedly rearranged. I got stuck in the U.S. when I traveled to help one of our kids. International travel and Kenyan borders closed a week before my scheduled return in April. We felt it was safer for Brad to stay in Kenya rather than land in a COVID hotspot. So I guess you could say we practiced extreme social distancing for about eight months. Our daughter was living in her home and sharing it with a Korean student. When the university dorms closed, they took in three other international students that had nowhere to go. I was able to get a small travel trailer for my stepdad to set up next to our house to use to quarantine, and I stayed in it for the summer while the college-age students took over the house. The students moved into their housing for this school year in August, and Brad made it home on October 1st. So we are currently working and studying from our home in Northwest Arkansas. Yuta returned from school in Georgia, and Bradley wasn't getting enough hours at his radio job in East Tennessee, so he also moved back last summer. Now we're unexpectedly all living in the same house, at least for the near future. Maury just started her last semester at John Brown University and added a part-time job in home health care. Bradley is working at Lazy Boy, thankful for the full-time job to save money. Yuta is studying to prepare for some IT certification exams to look for a job in the IT sector. Originally, we would have been in Africa until this May when Maury graduates from university. Then, the plan was to do a short home assignment till the end of this year, as Brad has to be available for jury duty from May through August. We could report to churches and attend a couple of missions events September through November. But it looks like our home assignment will be most of this year, with each of us making a trip to Africa once we can get COVID vaccines. 
We had hoped vaccines would be ready in January so that we could return to East Africa, but the rollout was slower than we'd hoped. The target keeps moving, so we will keep studying and working remotely for now and make more concrete plans once we know for sure when our vaccinations can be scheduled. I continue working in the Bible translation project for the Zoramo language that I've been working in for the past 10 years. The New Testament was sent to the publisher in September. We're hoping 5,000 copies will be ready for distribution in the next few months and that we can celebrate that milestone with a large dedication ceremony. But like all of our plans, that depends a lot on some resolution to the pandemic for people to be able to travel internationally to attend the dedication ceremony. The translators continue to show the Jesus film in the Zoramo language with a good response as we continue with Old Testament translation. I had planned on traveling to East Africa for a consultation on the book of Genesis at the end of February, but there's been a large spike in COVID cases so that's been postponed until April. If we can get our vaccines in March, I will travel there in April for the consultation. Otherwise, I'll attend the consultation virtually. I'm also training to be a Bible translation consultant. That is the specialist who looks through every verse of each book of the Bible and gives final approval for publishing. As part of my training, I'm preparing to check the book of Revelation in another language near Lake Victoria, hopefully later this year. I work at my computer nearly every day, proofreading biblical texts in a variety of languages, marking mistakes, and offering possible solutions. I email my comments to the Mother Tongue Translation teams, who then respond to my comments, and I proofread the text again. We do all of this preliminary work so that when the translators and I meet face-to-face, the text is very clean, and we can proofread it together much faster and focus on more intricate details. I'm also writing a descriptive grammar of the Zaramo language as my PhD thesis through the University of Leiden in the Netherlands, so not a lot of progress is being made on the PhD research project. Like universities here in the U.S., the universities in Kenya had to move online as well. They have tried to accommodate my time zone difference so that we are in class for four hours, so 5 to 9 a.m. here. As things open back up, I will probably have to travel back to Kenya between June and September for a couple of face-to-face classes. Then we would return together the end of December or early January next year. I occasionally still do some cross-cultural training when asked. Usually, this is for Americans or Europeans moving to East Africa. I had a call with the president of Livingstone University in Uganda in November while we were attending the National Missionary Convention. The university there is eagerly awaiting me to finish my Ph.D. So future plans, hopefully by January 2023 at the latest, are for us to base in Uganda so that I can join the faculty and staff at the university while Brad continues working as a translation consultant in East Africa. In spite of the pandemic and altered plans, we still have so much to be thankful for. Our family has remained healthy so far in the midst of the pandemic. None of our supporting churches or individuals have had to reduce their support of our ministry during the pandemic. This has allowed us to assist colleagues and former workers in Africa with special needs that are suffering due to the pandemic much more than we have. The Zaramo translators got stuck in Uganda while doing an audio recording of the New Testament when the borders closed. And Nigerian colleagues were separated from their high school-aged children back in Kenya for several months, with neighbors and church friends looking in on the kids who were living on their own when their schools closed. We were able to help them with some transportation costs. Fortunately, our ministries continue to make progress as we maximize those things that we can do remotely. However, not everything can be completed remotely, such as the research required to complete my PhD work or field testing of scripture portions. Many Africans who work each day to earn enough for that day's food are suffering a lot of hunger due to COVID restrictions. In some places, a plague of locusts or severe flooding and mudslides were of much more concern than COVID. It all leads to severe famine. This weighs heavy on our hearts and minds, and we help where we can. Isn't that incredible? Awesome work that they do. 
Supported them for 29 years now. I want to tell you about one other mission that we support, and that is His House uh, Christian Fellowship, which is a campus ministry on 12 Michigan University and college campuses. And their main goal is to win students to Christ, to build them up in their faith through services and studies and retreats, and then to send them back out into the world. Now, you can imagine 2020 was difficult, too, considering what happened to all the schools in Michigan last year with COVID. But even though their activities were curtailed, their ministry continued on. And so what I want to do is share just one story with you of an international grad student from India uh, who was impacted by the ministry there on the campus of Michigan Tech. He now lives in Detroit and his name is Prince Mahindarata. Watch. I was born in a small town of India called Modinagar. I grew up in a Punjabi Hindu family which has strong Sikhism and Hinduism roots. I studied in a convent school and our school had the biggest Catholic church of our town. I had many friends from Muslim community while growing up thanks to the Indian secular culture where I grew up respecting everyone's religion and faith. I even went to a monastery for 10 days before coming to USA to study Buddhism and did the silent retreat over there and studied from Dalai Lama himself. Also, I studied a few philosophical books, really enjoyed the perspectives of Immanuel Kant, Plato, Frederick Nietzsche, and Socrates. In all those years, I was searching for the truth and finding peace for myself from all my childhood traumas, bullying, serious relationship breakup, teenage suicidal thoughts, and loneliness. When I came to USA, I was basically running away from my own country and people to not find anything but peace and happiness. I got introduced to his house where everybody was so open-minded, had goals in their own life and wanted to make everyone around them happy and really cared for each other. They were always willing to share the gospel with me and everybody around us. I saw how peaceful, loyal, and caring Christians are and how they want to help everyone with their lives by sharing a common love for the God. I have been learning about Jesus ever since I started going to His house in late 2017. Having a community like His house is very encouraging. Being in community gives you the chance to be around people at different stages of their faith journey and to bear their burdens alongside them. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Galatians 6.2 That's awesome because his house helped me find a community to share the bond as everyone had something to teach and to learn. I remember all the conversations that I had with all my friends at his house where they helped me understand and learn from the life of Christ. I have shared my story with my new Christian community at the Cornerstone Church where I go now in Roseville, Michigan and how much his house helped me come closer to Christ. 
So your giving helps support that ministry as well. Your giving is also going to supply Christian college scholarships for South Point members um, who decide to go off and study for ministry or missionary work, whatever it is, Christian work, and for special appeals, that is for urgent or immediate missionary appeals that uh, we want to have some cash on hand to help them as well. So as always, I'm not asking any of our guests to give anything, but if this is your church Family, I, I really hope that you'll do your very best to give beyond what you normally give in, in any typical week to maybe double or triple what you give starting tomorrow through next Sunday because all of it will go to missions to support them for the entire year. So let's, let's really support the work of God in the world and understand that whatever you give today will go to support God's work right here in winning down River to Christ. So whether you give in the boxes, you know, on the walls back there, or you give online, or you mail it in, understand that everything that you give is going to help make disciples and make a difference. So let's pray about that. Father, we want to thank you for blessing us so that we can be a blessing to others. And we pray that you'd supply the needs of those who are sharing the good news of Jesus right here and around the world. God, and we're, we're praying for the Harveys and for his house to be effective. We pray for the people in our own lives who need your saving grace, God, that you would change hearts and help us to change our hearts, God, we need to be more willing to do what we need to win our community for Jesus. God, raise up more missionaries to go out in the harvest, uh, to, to bring in more souls, God, to take new territories for your kingdom. I pray that you would raise up more Timothys and more Silases and, and more Lukes, God, and help us to hear that, that those desperate cries of those who are perishing without Christ, to the people who are, who are heading to hell and need to be saved. God, let, let your people answer your call uh, and, and to share the good news of Jesus with everybody around us. We pray that in his name. Amen.